0: everybody. This is Mary Davidson, one of your co-hosts. And in today's episode, we are talking about my favorite thing, fundraising. Again, we're going to talk about how to fundraise at your next event. We're going to give a lot of different examples of what kinds of events um, can include fundraising and just examples overall. And so we hope you find this episode valuable and let's get into the episode. Welcome to the Better Events Podcast. Join two event strategists, Logan Clements and Mary Davidson, who believe we can all create, host, and attend Better Events. In this podcast, you will learn about event strategy and actions that you can use today as an event host, planner, or manager. Hear directly from the people who are creating innovative and inspiring events today and tomorrow and grow your business along the way. Now, let's get started and thanks for listening to the Better Events Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another week of the Better Events Podcast. We are thrilled to be with you today. Today, we are talking about how to fundraise at your next event, and we have a lot to to cover. There's a lot that we can talk about and get into, but before we do, we want to start with our conversation starter and a listener shout out. We haven't done this very often. We're going to start doing them a little bit more, but let's start with a listener shout out. So we get emails from you all. We, We talk about it. We super appreciate it. Um, and one of the email responses that we got was from our run of show template that we give out. So if you'd like to run of show template, just send us an email and we'll send that your way. Um, but Nika, one of our listeners said, I love your template and truly appreciate your kindness in sharing it with your listeners. Thank you again so very much for not only the template, but again, for sharing all your experience and knowledge. You truly offered some very insightful and inspiring words and have personally helped me grow and have had a huge part in my producing journey because she does event producing. So that, was, that gave us the warm fuzzies for sure. Nika, thank you so much for sending those kind words. I did ask her if we could share the words. And so definitely want to, you know, honor the kind things that she said to us. So thank you so much for that. We appreciate that positive feedback for sure. Um, that's what keeps us going, you know, and wanting us to um, continue along with, of course, many other things. But we're happy to be here with you all again today. So with that, we have our conversation starter, which is Logan, What Was your favorite cartoon growing up? Well, first, thank you, Nika. Again, we love hearing from you listeners. So please,
1: uh, if you haven't reached out, don't hesitate to. We always talk about how podcasting is so lonely sometimes, where it's just Mary and I talking to our microphones. And whenever we get a face to the name or even a name, that is for folks who are listening or finding that they get value out of this. That's always makes our day. So thank you. And Mary, to your point of my favorite cartoon, I can't remember if I've talked about this on the podcast before or not, but I, as a growing up, I was really into PBS. Honestly, shout out to my mom, because it probably was one of the few channels we were allowed to watch as a kid. Um, But I loved a TV show called Arthur. And I used to, I watched it so much that I used to tell time in Arthur shows. So whenever we were on a road trip or we drove to my grandparents' house, which was 30 minutes away, that is the duration of an Arthur show, my family would tell me. It is one Arthur show away, and as we went on longer road trips, we had to say it was like four Arthur shows, which just seemed like so much, Um, but I I will forever have a nostalgia for, I feel like, PBS TV shows, but particularly Arthur. How about you, Mary? What was your favorite cartoon growing up?
0: So many. I was definitely a a cartoon kid. I was the cartoon, you know, Saturday morning child watching cartoons. Um, The one that sticks out to me is P.P. and J. Otter. I think that was on Disney. I like that one i really love they had this um uh slide that was a slide i think it was a slide that went from the top of their house to their kitchen um table so they just slid right into it and i always appreciated that i thought it was a fun little world so pb and j otter shout out if you remember the noodle dance the noodle dance yes (laughs) oh my gosh (laughs) Before we jump into the
1: rest of this episode, we're going to interrupt to quickly plug the first ever Better Events Conference
0: coming to you virtually when, Mary? On Wednesday, December 20th, 2023. That's right. Mark your calendars
1: so excited uh, we are very very happy for this to be coming together and if we just want to hear from you for you to register your interest to hear about when tickets go on sale or if you want to partner with us or speak at this year's conference please visit our website bettereventspod.com slash conference we'll see you there Gosh. so we've talked a little bit about this topic of fundraising Mary's done a couple episodes about galas but we wanted to have an episode that is kind of your one-stop shop for talking about auctions, and all the other ways that you might be able to fundraise at your next event. Shout out to episode 101 about successful gala tips and tricks. It is in the show notes, so you can give that a listen. Um, but no matter if you're on the PTA, Rotary, you volunteer in your community, maybe you're a board member, or you're an event planner getting asked for the latest you know, tips and tricks about how to raise more money at your event, or you do events, um, this episode's going to be for you. So we're going to start as we always do, Mary, You know, nice and broad. But uh, do you mind telling our listeners what events it is appropriate to fundraise at?
0: Yeah, um, this is an interesting place to start because I think we have to acknowledge, first of all, Logan, I'm excited that you're having this conversation with me. It's very fun. Last time that was a solo episode, I think. And so I love having somebody else to talk to. Um, But a lot of our listeners, you know, are located around the area, around the world. And so... With that in mind, I think fundraising really looks different where you are. In fact, you might call it something different as, as well, like not just fundraising events, but charity events or whatever that looks like. And so, um, we are really today going to be speaking to you know our experience with fundraising events, you know, mainly in the U.S. But we hope that there are a lot of takeaways that you can apply to yours. And I also want to say, if you do fundraising in one way or another, wherever you're located, um, even if it's like East Coast, because I know there, I just learned that there are like some different ways to doing things um, from West Coast to East Coast in the the US, just let us know because I'd love to learn what the best practices are for you, where you're at. So keep that in mind as we're talking about this today. But I would say for events that it's appropriate to fundraise at, um, there's a lot of Un- maybe not unfortunately, but it makes it more complicated. There's a lot of legalities behind fundraising. And so with that in mind, there are certain ways that you are typically required to to do things and that might um, inhibit you from fundraising at your event or it might not. And so I- we're not going to really go through all the rules here because they really differ based on location. But um, I would say there are many examples that we're going to go through. And that it's appropriate to fundraise at ones that you're like legally able to do so at. And a lot of times that could be your little community fundraiser. It could be something in your neighborhood. It's something with the PTA or it could be larger scale. It could be like your corporate company is doing a fundraiser that benefits an organization or you are a nonprofit organization and you are raising funds and those usually have its own rules. And so there's just like a lot of things that go into it. But I would say in most cases, it's appropriate to fundraise and it's all about how you communicate it to your guests so they know what to expect. So that's how I would summarize it. Logan, what would you add to this?
1: Well, first, I want if you can define for our listeners when you say like your local laws, like where
0: do you find that information? Yeah. So I'm really familiar with Washington state laws where we're located, but I'm not, you know, super certain about other places. But for us, we can find it on um the, uh, the like it's through a government website it's typically the washington state gambling commission so the gambling commission and the liquor control board are usually the ones that really set a lot of those rules that apply to your fundraising events and so for our washington state ones we find them i just like well there's like links, but I'll just Google like Washington State Gambling Commission uh, fundraising event rules <laughs> and stuff will pop up there. And they usually have like an email or a representative or a phone number. I would say that is the most useful thing because it's kind of nuanced. It's complicated. So to be able to call somebody um, who makes, you know, who enforces and makes those rules and really be able to ask some questions and clarifications is super helpful. Yeah. I think you, I think that's a great answer. And just, yeah, checking
1: locally, if you're somebody who does them in different states, like that shouldn't be a deterrent, but just know that a certain fundraising tactic in one state is, and like Washington state, I guess is a good example where I think our fundraising laws are pretty strict compared to, I I used to live in Philadelphia and even the events that I did a couple of fundraisers when I lived in Shanghai, where it was even more of kind of the wild, wild West, where there weren't those kind of rules that I was pretty shocked um, when I moved here. And then also know just just know that you're going to have people in your area who probably don't follow those rules. And so that can be really hard to navigate that with your board or your client or your organization because they're going to say, well, we see these people doing it and you're telling me it's, you know, quote unquote, illegal. Um, and it's just one of those that like, I, I definitely I've had a client who has disagreed with me and not wanted to follow those rules. And it's just been one like we've had to get it just in writing in an email that they acknowledge that they're breaking those rules. And there's Usually, like I think in Washington state here, it's like you can't do a wine poll where the ticket itself is less than the maximum, you know, dollar of wine. And we can talk more about or maximum bottle value. So meaning you're randomly pulling bags that have bottles of wine in them. And the whole point of it is you should pay twenty five dollars and you could win up to a one hundred dollar bottle of wine. Washington state, you technically can't do that. It has to be a hundred dollar ticket where you'd win either a hundred dollar bottle of wine or less, which kind of defeats the purpose. And I've had some clients who have just been like, no, that we've always done it. We're going to keep moving forward with it. Um, So you'll see exceptions, but usually it would mean if you break those rules, there's usually a financial penalty. It's like a fine you would pay. Uh, listeners, don't despair, though, because I feel like that's kind of a little bit of a womp womp start to the episode, but just more like we're going to give you some ideas and things, but we will always encourage you to double check your local laws to make sure you're in compliance. That is how Mary and I like to operate. You won't see everybody across the industry doing that, but that's just kind of the vein that we're coming from. So Mary, what tools do you think you need to have in place to be able to fundraise well at an event?
0: Yeah. Um, so yeah, we're kind of setting the the groundwork here and then we're going to give you more examples, but we wanted to kind of, you know, be clear on some things. And so when it comes to tools to have in place to be able to fundraise, um, the biggest thing is just like accepting money, you know, or donations from people. Because if we're talking about fundraising events and whatever they look like, you need to be able to accept money from people. <laughs> And uh, when it's a donation versus like a purchase, sometimes that's a little bit more complicated too. How do you accept that if they're not like buying a ticket? Like, you know, they just want to give something. How do you take that? Um, And so I'd say that's the biggest thing to figure out. And once again, that can look a lot of different ways. Um, So there are softwares out there that of course are for this. But if you're like, let's maybe start smaller scale and then we can get a little bit bigger. So like a smaller scale example is... Um, maybe you can collect donations on some like payment processor software, like square or something like that. Um, maybe you could collect ca- cash, like old, old school, right. But cash actually still sometimes a great way. And people want to actually, I think every fundraising event I'm a part of, somebody will get with cash every time and it, we're never expecting it, but you know, we got to find an envelope and make sure it doesn't get lost. Like, but somebody's always giving with cash. Um, Or, of course, like a check, but like, who are they making this out to? Who's the beneficiary of the event and the funds? And so, you know, keep those things in mind. Um, And then there are even, you know, things online, like people could pay via PayPal, perhaps, or I don't know, Venmo. And once again, I'm not actually sure like the rules for some of this because typically we'll just go straight into a platform. And that platform is usually an auction platform specifically. So it's built for this um, or it's a registration platform that can take donations. And so we're really going like to straight to that event platform for most of the scenarios that I've been involved in. Um, And that's worked well. Even like Eventbrite could work. Obviously that's really big for ticketing, but you can do like a custom ticket that is Um, where people choose how much they give or pay and that is a donation. Um, And so you can kind of do it that way as well. And so there's lots of tools, but we wanted to start off with like how you're accepting money since that's one of the biggest points of doing an event like this. Logan, what would you add to that?
1: Yeah, I think especially coming from like the event planner lens, often that discussion of like, how are we going to you know, charge for tickets and accept donations often involves the organization's bookkeeper or accountant or treasurer. And just making sure to Mary's point, like you have that conversation of like, yes, if we accept a check, who is it made out to like, to be able to execute the fundraising, you're going to need that information. Or can they accept, like they might already have, like Mary and I have worked an event together that they already had Stripe set up, but not this other one set up. And so that kind of helped guide us for Picking what platform we wanted to use because we wanted the platform to complement the financial systems the organization already had set up versus creating new ones. So I think that can help. And then to your point, I know we haven't mentioned platforms by name, but just in your process, don't get overwhelmed by how many platforms are out there that can help you do this. But do pay attention to transaction fees. There's often fees associated with either the number of transactions you're trying to run through the platform or the uh, dollar amount of those transactions and just having that because that was something I know that surprised me as someone who doesn't do nonprofit events all the time when I was really looking into them that that can really eat at like eat up your donations sometimes and I like some platforms now have a checkbox that lets the donor you know take on the fee associated with their donation I think that's really impactful um, but I had one client where I want to say they they fundraised you know in the six figure you know six figure range but they were also then paying in five figures like tens of thousands in fees and it just was one of those things that i was like i feel like a small you know tweak in a platform that we used could help save that money so just two more things to think about
0: yeah it's so true we did an event um recently and the registration platform took like 12% fees in the end which was a lot like that is a lot that's yeah. way more than your standard credit card transaction fee like it was crazy so up one absolutely. more, just
1: because, yeah. just because my mindset on it would just for internationally, also knowing if you do accept international um, donations, currency, you know, however that works, bank transactions, um, or also that's like another like kind of odd case or um, what was it, Mary, that we were just doing it we had an event, they were essentially how they go about giving, I don't know if it's family trust or like larger, you know, organizations that want to donate like $20,000. Like what does that look like? And as minute as like, how does that actually, you know, how does that donation happen? And then how do you record that if you are someone who is using like a thermometer to help show how much money you've raised, like figuring out the logistics on the platform of how to then put that big donation in the thermometer, but not necessarily run it through the platform. So you can avoid those, you know, high fees on those really significant donations.
0: Yeah, for sure. Definitely. And that goes back to like every event, someone's want to pay to pay with a check for that reason too. So absolutely. Yeah. Any other tools that we should cover that should be in place to um, be able to do a fundraising event?
1: I think my we're finding more people who want to do one-stop shops for platforms. So not just also, we talked about donations and tickets, but a donation can also come in the form of like your auction, you know? And so having a platform that can capture that information as well. And to your point, Mary, of like, does it take offline donations for those that want to take to pay by check or cash? Or um, I think that's been an interesting spot in the past couple of years that we've been dealing with some folks that didn't want to go digital and like all the paper versions of things. Um, but just know as an organizer, there are a lot of platforms out there that have like really, I think done a really good job of capturing that information. So you're not having to walk around and get bitter sheets from all of your items and you know, some of that stuff that can really like QR codes have been really helpful for that kind of information.
0: As long as the internet's good. Yes. <laughs> yes. As long yeah. as you're not in the
1: middle. Yeah. If you're kind of offsite, maybe not. Papers, your best friend, then.
0: <laughs> yeah. Pros and cons, for sure. Um, and then with those two, it's really great to choose one that, if you are a nonprofit, collaborates or integrates, I should say, with your donor database. Those are great because then it speaks to it directly and it gets donor information and updates it and stuff, which is definitely not. Extremely common, but it's really nice when you can select one that works out that way. So um, we've actually talked about some examples before we talked about like our favorite things and some of our favorite softwares and things like that. And so some examples of this for me um, lately, I've been more into QGive and GiveButter, but always into Greater Giving and Octria. So those are like four auction softwares or registration systems that kind of do that as well that have been working for me. Yeah. We're a big advocate
1: of Octria over here. I think I like that as a, I've worked with some of my nonprofits recently have been pretty small. And so Octria is a very, like, you have to do it yourself and set up a lot of things, but it is very affordable. I've also had a client who's used One Cause as a really good peer-to-peer fundraising, meaning they were encouraging their, empowering their community to host their own little events, like a run walk or a chili cook-off or a bake sale. And that system was facilitated to have like teams get set up and team fundraising that would all feed into one organization. So I know there's a million out there. I feel like every time I have a conversation with someone, they're like, have you heard of X platform? So the ones that Mary and I are listing are are by no means the only solutions out there. I think we've just had an experience working with them. So that being said, Mary, what are some of your favorite ways to fundraise at an event?
0: There are Are so many, and we're so we're gonna start giving you all some examples. But um, I would I like I love to break it down by like somebody who can give like a lot of money, a medium level of money, and like some some money. Yeah, and I really think that that this is like the importance of fundraising events is that we are giving people it it depends on your audience, but in most cases, you're giving everyone who attends the opportunity to give at a level that works for them. So you need to provide them options, and so um If I'm breaking it down kind of by levels in a way, like top level, my favorite um, ways that I've seen fundraising are through things that happen before the event, which are like matches that you set up. So somebody, you know, some, there's actually a lot of different ways you can do matches, but like some donor says that they're going to match the first $10,000 in donations one to one or something like that. Or you have like a board of directors that comes together and says that they're going to pull their money and they're going to match the first however much and that's always really nice or they're going to match like every gift that is given at the $250 level or something like that um I think matches need to be strategic sometimes if they're done too much it kind of takes the I don't know People, I think people are encouraged by matches, but when you do it too much, like for many different levels, it kind of takes the, I don't know, the impact out of it. So anyway, a match pre-committed gifts are awesome, which is you doing donor stewardship before your event and talking to people and seeing if they'll give money and commit before they're even there. That's ideal because then you're really guaranteeing some revenue for the event. It's like kind of crucial, in in fact, for these larger level gifts. So that's one example. Um, A medium level kind of could be like participating in, in an auction, whether it's a, well, I'd probably say like a silent auction, live auction items can go for like quite a bit sometimes. Um, or like there's this thing called, it's actually called a lot of different things, but I call it last paddle standing. Sometimes it's called something else, but it's basically people, um, an auctioneer will get some, you know, prize for a certain level, like hundred, the hundred dollar level or something like that. And um, the last person who has their bid card up is the one who wins that thing. And so every time you raise your bid card, you are donating. And so you get in these bid wards, wars back and forth. But every time a person raises their paddle, they're they're giving. So they actually end up giving quite a bit of money sometimes if they really want that item. But it's fun. It's this fun game. And that, I would say, is more at the medium level. So I appreciate that. Um, and then, like, dessert auctions I would put there, too. And then for something that's, like, a little more accessible for a lot of people are, like, like grabs. Like, wine grabs or, like, jewelry grabs So you pay. You know, a hundred dollars, and you get the surprise bag of jewelry or something like that, um, or raffles. I would definitely put under this category as well. So those are just some examples, but those what I've just named are like my favorites under each category. And Logan, I'd love to hear from you. What are some of your favorite ways to fundraise at an event?
1: Yeah, I know at a uh, sporting events like in the C- in Seattle here, the like Seahawks, and I think the. Sounders are doing it as well. Our our men's soccer team uh, doing just a 50-50 raffle. This is a big one if you – I see it also even at like the high school, you know, PTA team um, and the concept is that people donate or they buy tickets um, to get a chance to – it's essentially a raffle, but all the money that they raise off the tickets, 50% of it is going to go to the organization and 50% of it is going to go to the lucky winner. And like at the Seahawks game, we had one that got up to like $100,000. So the person with the winning ticket – 150 grand, you know, which is significant. I've seen it on a smaller scale for like your local high school team where maybe you win a thousand dollars and sometimes it's classy just to donate your, your winnings as the, as the winner back to the organization. So they get to keep all that money. Um, But similar to what Mary said, I think like auctions and raising the paddle, I think dessert dash is a really fun one. If you know your, and all of these, I guess, with the caveat of like, you know, your audience. So like a dessert dash where People are bidding at their table to raise as much money for their table as possible to get a better chance in line to run or walk swiftly to the dessert table to get the most enticing dessert for their table. Uh, I wouldn't do that for a group that maybe they're not as able-bodied or your venue just is really tightly packed and mobility is hard. You know, I wouldn't do a dessert dash, but like we just had a client um, back in the spring who they do a lot of things with sports, but it was a fundraising for an organization. I was like, "Your you, your attendees are competitive; they're gonna love this." Like they were trying to look at another way um, to fundraise, and so adding a dessert dash was a really easy thing for them to do, and the people had a lot of fun doing it. Um, so I think there's so many different options <laughs> for fundraising, um, which at times I think can be overwhelming. So. My big piece of advice, and Mary, I'm sure you have your own version of this, but is like you don't have to do everything. I think that's where what's coming to mind more is I've had some organizations who think they need to do all of those things you mentioned, and that's where you can get like donor fatigue. Like too, you're getting asked too many things, and so then they just give give less because they're overwhelmed versus having very targeted, here are the three ways you're going to or four ways you're going to donate or you're going to be asked today. And on those, I think the way you just broke it down, Mary, with that high, medium, low, I think is really good, especially for organizations that are trying to appeal to a larger audience, not just their donors who have been with them for years, but also start to bring in some younger donors who aren't going to be able to give $1,000, but maybe they can give 25 or 50 and they're going to feel really good about it. And you can then hone that relationship at future fundraisers.
0: Yeah. And we've talked about it so many times before, but when you're trying to figure out whatever the the causes or the thing that you're doing to raise funds for an event just figure out like why you're there why are you doing it what's the mission and then pick items that will raise money that really support that it can feel so random if you're doing this like i don't know golf game that you buy into but the event is all about you know kids in hospitals that was like very broad but you know like just make it connect and think of something that will do that and i think that's going to hit way stronger with your audience as well So that brings us to our next question, which is um, what are other main ways to fundraise at an event? And there are a lot of examples. So Logan, I'd love to hear yours. I'm just going to shoot some off. These are like, you know, maybe perhaps smaller scale. So once again, really depends on what you're looking for, but here's some um, smaller scale examples. So you could do like a scavenger hunt and people are like paying to participate and then they can donate along the way. Um, A karaoke night, you pay to participate and then you have people like spectators vote on their favorite performers with donations, something like that. Um, You could donate a drink for a cause. So instead of going to go get like your daily coffee, instead you just donate that to the cause. Um, You could do comedy nights and things like this work a little better if you can partner with like a comedy club that will kind of host you that night. And then so you're making money off the event. Um, Trivia nights, similar situation, yard sales. And I want to say like, let's not discount yard sales. When I was 19, I was trying to raise money to go do a humanitarian trip. And so I like sent this little note to all my neighbors asking them to give me their stuff that they were going to take. Um, to Goodwill or a place like that. And they gave it to me instead. And I had a yard sale and I called it clutter for a cause. And I raised like $2,000 just from that. So, I mean, don't discount your yard sales. Sometimes if you like get a lot of things that can be pretty impactful. Um, So anyway, those are just some ideas, but Logan, I'd love to hear what you're thinking about too.
1: Yeah, I think, I feel like you, you honestly named a lot of them, but just knowing that you can kind of get creative again, within the rules of your, of your local organization, Um, I've seen also like you can buy a ticket, donate a ticket, and it's the value of, you know, hosting somebody who is part of the scholarship program or, you know, who wouldn't be able to attend your event. A really interesting method I'd seen from a client was they actually didn't charge for their event. And it was something that like food was getting sent to your house. So there was, you know, a significant potential cost or labor at least involved in, Every free person who registered, but the idea was that they would donate kind of either in kind or throughout the night. And then they had a very successful live donation process because people already were feeling like, you know, I got to come to this for free. I had this great experience with my family. Oh, and now I'm getting asked to give. So that's a fun, like an interesting method versus trying to sell tables or seats at a higher value. Um, that I think can you can play with for your event. I feel like there's there's a lot of opportunity. It's just again, the ways I've seen it go wrong, go wrong have just been that people try to do too much, too many different ways to give. Um, or they kind of like half do them. So a lot of these organizations, you know are run by volunteers or a board. And so I would, if you have tons of ideas, you know, get them all down on paper and then figure out what you can actually execute. I gave that example early about the dessert dash and I had a different client try to do it. And it was really tough. They tried to get a different dessert from a different organization. And so to have 30 tables worth of desserts, they were working with 30 different bakeries and shops and things. And the person who had to do it, like it took them all day running around for two days, trying to collect all these, like all of these baked goods and cakes and things. And it was like, a cool idea, but in execution, it took that person out away from anything else that they could help with. Versus, I saw another organization that was like, "We got them all from the same shop," and I was like, "That was so smart. Made it way short, and they paid for them." But it is like they knew if I pay X, I'm going to make at least you know three times that back. So, um, I think just figuring out what works and then on our podcast, we talk about the numbers and how important it is to look at budgets and like post event to debrief. So I also, as a sports person, we always tried new things. So I I would encourage you to try something new, try something different just because you haven't done it before. It doesn't mean it won't work. And those that are doing the exact same fundraising methods year after year, you're probably missing out on some funds by not trying something new and fun that you saw. Um, and then just revisit it afterward and go, was it worth the time and effort? Was it worth the money? Was it like, like actually reevaluate why you're doing some of this stuff? Because um, again, I've worked with some organizations that they, they just do some things because that's how they do them. And they never look at the numbers to realize that like the wine pull cost, you know, they were netting maybe $500. And it's like, there's so many other more impactful things we could do to get you $500 more dollars without the
0: extra labor of, you know, organizing that. Anything else to add, Mary? No, I totally agree. And like silent auctions are notoriously known for not good ROI for sure. Yeah. Because like you're getting these items donated, so I could see if you're thinking, but like, but it's free. So any money we make is is money that we're making. And I hear that. But the amount of time, it's like Logan was saying, the time that it takes to really do a silent auction, it doesn't actually pay up. The values are not like the percentage that you're getting is just really not a lot compared to other ways that you can raise funds at your event, some of the other ways that we've mentioned. So I love that idea of just looking back at what has worked, see what you could do differently, maybe in the future.
1: Yeah. And what are Mary? What are some other best practices for fundraising at your next event that we haven't covered?
0: I mean, there's so many like this, that, that alone probably is like a whole episode, which we've kind of talked about before, but I'd say, um, you know, just going back to the basics and and really figuring out, like we talked about the, the mission, the purpose, why you're doing the event, what's going to really work for you and your audience. Um, and then a really big thing too, actually, and this actually leads to the, to the next question. So I'll turn it back over to you, Logan, too, but um, is what you do after the event. This gets so forgotten and we know this gets forgotten, but especially for fundraising, like you've done so much work to convince people to give you their money. And then, and then what do you do? besides take it. Like there's got to be more steps there for sure. So before we get into that, Logan, though, is there anything else you want to cover about best practices?
1: Yeah, this is from kind of the production lens of talking about fundraising. Um, Another thing to look at is also if you're doing a live auction or a live uh, paddle raise or anything that takes place on stage, just thinking about who you have as your MC or your host or your auctioneer. I think that can also be, you know, changing that up, having that be somebody different could have also a real world impact on your event. Um, Just because, again, having a host or someone who's a little bit more mission driven or maybe more polished and more entertaining um, could loosen people up and get them to donate more. Same with I think auctioneering can sometimes be an art and not saying that the person you're working with maybe isn't the best fit, but maybe just mixing it up and having somebody different and a different energy in that room is going to change change your you know, your success as a fundraiser.
0: So don't be afraid to change out your talent. So then coming back to, you know, this post event idea, um, Logan, how would you say, how would you um continue to cultivate, you know, these people um or this, you know, this feeling, these things that you've accomplished together after all this hard work.
1: I mean, you know I'm gonna say my post a post event report I mean, is great. Can you I mean, just writing down what you did and just like stream of consciousness doesn't have to be pretty. It also can be really short. It doesn't have to be in depth, but I found the more information, the better, especially if you are an organization that has turnover, like every year The committee is different, or the lead is different. Even if it's as micro as you writing down what you personally did, and somebody else who's going to be the sponsorship chair or the silent auction chair, what would they need to know for next year is so helpful because we've seen so many organizations where they're just starting over from scratch every year. Because when that person leaves, all their you know institutional knowledge leaves too. So noting that down, and then we mentioned budgets, but actually going back and you put an estimate probably for your budget of what things would cost and how much you hope you would raise. And going back in and actually filling in the actuals and marking all of that down and figuring out where it was. I think I talked about this. I know I've talked about this on the podcast before. But like one example where I had an organization that had spent two grand and the two grand was for meals for volunteers and staff because last minute they had to order takeout for everybody because they hadn't factored them in. And it was an organization where two grand more to the organization would have been pretty darn impactful. And it's like, well, that's something we could just factor them in. And I'm sure you'd save at least a grand by factoring them in on the vendor meal side. So making sure you're writing down anecdotally what happened, but then also don't forget your numbers.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. That just happened with me at an event and we had to get pizza last minute because there was this catering mix up for the vendors and it was like $400 just out of there for just like a handful. It was I was crazy crazy. Um, where if you think, you know, $400 at a fundraising event, when you have people giving $20 and that's what they can give, like that really, really adds up for sure. So, um, a couple other things I have on this post event process is, is first just to thank people, like have someone thanking them for their gift, whether that's you, whether it's someone from the organization, whether it's someone who is a beneficiary of the funds, just like somebody saying, thank you. And it's so valuable when it's personalized, what I've seen most successful, not that any thinking is really more successful than the other necessarily, but like having someone call them on the phone and say, thank you. I have never heard people be so surprised. They're like, you're not asking for anything. You're just saying, thank you. Like, yeah. And you're like, oh, cool. Yeah. I mean, no problem. You know, like, it's just like this moment of surprise, which is really kind of nice sometimes. So I'd say thank people um, and then give them updates about where the money is going. Whatever it is, any of these situations, give them an update so they can see their impact over time. So something I like to tell organizations to do is to give the update like six months out from now. It feels like kind of far, but for you to pop up in their inbox six months from now and be like, hey, you came to this event. Together we did this. Here's an example and a story of what your like impact has done directly. That's pretty powerful. A lot of people don't do that. Seems really easy to me to be able to do, Like, but... It doesn't happen very often. Um, and the last thing is inviting them to have to be involved in other ways between then and the next event. So the whole point is really to be able to build these supporters so that they can continue to support your community. And the best way to do that is like any relationship, which is not just talking to them when you need something, but really cultivating that and inviting them to other opportunities of volunteering. Maybe it's just attending like some, you know, like stewardship event that's free. Um, Maybe it's just, I don't know what, just reaching out and and treating it like a real relationship is really valuable as well.
1: Yeah, I think all of those, again, it's that post event, sometimes fatigue. I feel like that sets in of you've been doing all this hard work and everything, and then you're just tired and you kind of forget some of these things. But I think you really hit the nail on the head. And as we mentioned earlier, another opportunity is also peer-to-peer fundraising. So getting your your community to either do smaller events and kind of leaning on them for that kind of stuff, I think is also a great way to keep people involved and more on the smaller level, but just to stay relevant and top of mind. But I just immediately, Mary, when you were like send a six month update, it's also like, and you could include your save the date for you know the next event to just put it on people's radar of like, hey, it's back, or if you forgot to collect feedback, that's another thing I love to always ask about is like what were the attendees talking about? And we all know survey links and it's you know you're not going to hear from everybody and that can be frustrating but part of like your phone call of thanking someone is you could also say hey what was the most memorable part of the event getting anecdotes getting like what actually stuck with them is also really important and it's a question i always try to ask clients is like what did, did you hear about because there's going to be the things that we rec- re- we recognize as organizers as the host or you're going to think is really cool but it really just matters like what was memorable to the attendees Did anybody, no one thought about the photo booth? Okay. Maybe that's some cost savings. We're not going to get a photo booth next year. Or, you know, they really loved like the opportunity that we had a a client who wanted more time talking at their table because we had a lot of great programming. They're like, it was great. But by the time it was over, I barely talked to the people I was seated with. So this past year we did a dinner break. We did about 30 minutes where we just had light music playing and people just talking amongst themselves. And I think that helped, you know, at the end of the day, raise more money. So just hearing back from your audience and not staying in your silo as the organizers of like what you thought went well and what you think should happen. Make sure you collect some of that information.
0: Absolutely. Awesome. I love that. And so we've, you know, we've covered a lot today. I think there's so many different directions that we could take this topic. So thanks for, you know, sticking with us as we've kind of navigated like the different kinds of events. Hopefully there's something that you heard that you can bring to your next fundraising event, whatever it may be. Um, and so thank you so much again. And we now have our bonus tip for today, which Logan has.
1: Yeah, this one you probably heard if you listened to our favorite things episode, if you didn't go back and listen to it. But I highly encourage you as we get into the busy fall event season, if you're someone who travels a lot for work or for fun, get the travel credit card with lounge access. I have two cards that get me access to two different lounges. I have the Capital One Venture X card, and then I'm a Delta girl, so I have the Delta credit card, but whatever airline you prefer, I'm just telling you it makes life and just transit so much easier. Just the relaxing thought that I know I can go somewhere that I know it's going to be quiet. I'm going to have coffee. I'm going to have snacks. Like it just helps take care of one of the, you know, busy elements of you getting up and going. So get the travel credit card. I promise you it's going to be worth it if you are someone who's going to be traveling a lot this year. Yep
0: absolutely love my travel credit card love the lounges it's amazing awesome well thank you so much everybody for listening to another episode of the better events podcast you can follow us on social media at better events pod you can email us at better events pod at gmail.com visit our website better events pod.com and you can connect can connect with us directly on linkedin we'd love to hear from you logan and i really love getting those messages saying that you listen to the podcast so thank you for sending those and we'll be back we will be back with you again next wednesday (laughs)